Uh, good morning and welcome to Calvary Church. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, welcome to you guys in the video venue, to you guys joining us online. We're glad you're here. And to all of our guests today, a special welcome to you as well. Um, as I said, my name is Drew and I am filling in for Pastor Dan. And today is my first official Sunday teaching. And I thank you guys. Let me tell you, I am so nervous. Last time I was up on stage, I almost threw up in that store, Jerry, because I was like leading you guys through communion. And you have no idea. I look like a duck on water right now, okay? I am a nervous wreck. But um, my mom, she tried to help me out. She was like, well, just take time and picture everyone in their underwear. And I go, mom, mom, that is not going to work. But let me tell you what will work. Why don't I pray for our time and you guys pray for me, all right? Jesus, thank you so much for just all that you're doing, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here on this stage. But God, may your presence be felt in this place, on this campus. May my words be your words, and may they be used to equip us, to encourage us, to teach us. May we be walking away from this place empowered to help your kingdom grow. We thank you in your name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys had a fantastic Christmas. Um, New Year's is upon us. Anybody with New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Wow. All right. I can see. Dan really feels this sometimes. Let's try again. Anybody New Year's resolutions? All right. All right. Um, I think New Year's resolutions are a great thing. I um, want to submit to you a New Year's resolution for Calvary Church for 2019. Our New Year's resolution should be this. Let's make this year the year we are all ready to share the gospel with someone. Now, I know when someone hears that thing tossed out the gospel, you get all sorts of stuff flooding up and emotions, and it's not all bad, and it's not all weird. Let me tell you about my first time teaching the gospel to someone. I am in middle school. I am on a mission trip away from my parents. I am in the inner city of Philadelphia. I have been asked by our site coordinator to do street evangelism, probably one of the hardest of types of evangelism to do. And so I am in middle school. I'm probably about 95 pounds soaking wet, not that much to look at. And uh, I am having to paint a diagram of the gospel. And because it is the inner city of a city, I am having to shout all of my instructions over all of the noise that surrounds us. And I will tell you, it wasn't that much of a confidence boost. And it did not help as some people in maybe a Philadelphia fashion had some explicit advice for me on the direction of my life and where I should go. And so it wasn't that great. But I will tell you, it wasn't that horrible either because I can still picture the face of the person that stood there and listened to me walk them through the entire gospel. And then they thanked me. They thanked me for sharing Jesus with them. And so it was an incredible moment for me. I promised Dan I wouldn't cry. (sighs) But, you know, it's an incredible moment that we can have together. And I think evangelism is something that we should all do as healthy habits as a believer. Now, you may be unfamiliar with evangelism. Maybe you've heard it as the gospel, the good news, sharing your faith, sharing your story. It's all pretty much the same. Some have more personal components than others, but What it is, is just our opportunity to tell people what Jesus has done. Now, wouldn't you agree, yes, if uh, 
If, wouldn't you agree that uh, sharing the gospel is important? Yes. Yeah. All right. And wouldn't you agree that people that haven't heard this message should really hear it? Awesome. But yet, what Barna Research conducted a survey, and they found out that 64, 64% of Christians today believe that evangelizing is optional. 64% of Christians today believe that evangelizing isn't really part of their responsibility. And so what I would like to submit to you today is that, you know, it is part of our responsibility, but sometimes, maybe like me, it was, I really thought it was optional because I needed a professional to do it. Or I thought it was optional because I needed somebody with that gift to do that. Or I thought it was optional because I honestly thought that someone could talk me out of my faith. And so what I would like to help us with today is not only learn how to present the gospel, but also learn about some of the ins and outs of what the gospel is about so that we can stand confident and go, I don't need a professional. I don't need someone with the gift. I can do the work of evangelist. And I don't need someone to try to talk me out of my faith because I know exactly what it says. And so that's what I'd like to do with you today. So to do that, we're going to do a diagram together. So this is what I need you to do. Flip over your teaching outline. If you're using a device, go ahead and pull up a different page so you can scribble with your finger. And we are all going to do a gospel diagram together so we can understand the elements and the components of what the gospel is really about. Are you guys ready? All right. You guys are with me now. All right. This is how it goes. This is called the bridge diagram. And it goes, in the beginning, God, right? created man, and I'm going to do a stick figure because I like to show off my artistic skills, and uh, they were together. But what happened was, was that man sinned, and man's sin separated him from God because God is holy. Now, because God is holy, he can't have a relationship with sin, and that left this void in our life. And because that void was there, we tried to do all sorts of stuff, right? We tried relationships, we tried sex, we tried substances, we tried our careers, we tried possessions, we tried money, we tried to do anything we can to fill in this void. But what we are left with is a void. And we're left with emptiness, hurt, fear, and pain. And the bad news is, is that if we stay stuck in our sin, the wages of sin is death. But the good news, right? The good news is, is that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and did something that no one else could ever do, and that was to live a holy life giving us a way to God. But then, he didn't just do that. He died for our sins, canceling them out. And he died on the cross, paying the penalty of our sin, which was death, so that if we were to leave our sin, we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And all we have to do is trust in him. And that's the bridge diagram. I'd love to spend a little bit more time on it, but you guys can go back, watch it online if you need to fill in or practice it. But that's what it is. It can be that simple. And I'm not saying let's leave here now and everybody go to a street corner and you guys show this. 
What I'm saying is, is that, you know, it's important to know these components so that you could have a conversation with someone and you could either napkin it down or you could write it on your phone and on a page and that way you could give this instruction. And that's what's important. Now, let's talk through, through our text today in Romans 10, why these elements are the way it is. So let's open up our Bibles. We're in Romans chapter 10. Now, Romans chapter 10 places us in the middle of a discourse that Paul is giving to the Roman believers. It's 58 AD. Jesus Christ died on the cross 33 AD. It's relatively fresh, this thing called Christianity. A lot of people have questions. Previously, everybody went to the Old Testament to go uh, have their atonement and remove their sin and just take care of things. So they would go to this building with priests and animals. Now Jesus comes on the scene and all of a sudden, They're not doing that anymore. And then more than that, a lot of the believers are going, well, it looked like God was doing all of these great things with this Jewish people, and now all of a sudden, it doesn't look like he's doing that anymore. Has God completely rejected the Jewish people? And so what's great about this text is is that Paul's going to say, these people haven't accepted this message yet. And because of that, God hasn't rejected them. He's willing to accept them if they accept this message. And I think that's so comforting to some of us because we have people in our lives who we are hoping and praying that they will come to a relationship with Jesus and we almost have a feeling like God's completely done with them. But he's not. He's willing to accept them, but they have to get this message. And we're going to pick that up in verse 1. So with your pen in hand, and anytime I elongate a word, go ahead and assume that I want you to underline it. So let's start. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. All right? So the brethren, he's talking to Roman believers. The them there is the Jewish people that he is talking about. And the subject matter is salvation. So even if you want, you can double underline that or circle it so you can know the subject matter. And then he continues in verse 2. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. All right. Paul used to be known as Saul. If anybody knew what zeal looked like, it would be Paul, because Paul was zealously persecuting the Christian church. He had this burning passion, this fire for what he was doing. He was defending anything, but Like the Jewish people, he was doing it not in accordance with knowledge. And that doesn't mean that he was dumb in general sense. It means that he was ignorant. He didn't understand what God was doing divinely. He didn't understand that in a divine way. And so what we see is the fact that the Jewish people, write this down, they are sincere, but sincerely wrong. They are sincere, but sincerely wrong. And it's it's interesting enough that if you were to look at the landscape of where we are today, where people would say they are at spiritually, honestly, you would see the fact that they are sincere but sincerely wrong. They really do believe in being a good person and spiritual, but they just missed something. They don't have the full picture. And they're willing to accept a God, all gods, no God, their God, but they won't accept Jesus as God. And as Pastor Dan always tells us, All Christians believe that Jesus is awesome. And so what we're going to find out is that they have a view 
of the way that they can receive their salvation. And so what we need to do is we need to understand how that takes place. So Paul's going to coach them on how they were viewing their salvation, and that's through verses 3 through 5. So let's pick up in verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. All right. So cleaning up some of the words, we toss things around in the church. Righteousness is one of those words. Not everybody knows what it means. Righteousness simply means this. Write this down. Righteous simply means to be right with God. Very simple. Okay. The idea, if I am stuck in my sin over here, I am wrong with God. If I am holy over here, I am right with God. Righteousness is the path that gets me to be right with God. Okay. Now, when we look out into the world, there is two views that people can be righteous through, okay? Write this down. People think righteousness is either through personal achievement or divine accomplishment. People think that they can either receive their righteousness through personal achievement or divine accomplishment. Christianity stands alone as the only ones who believe and divine accomplishment. Everybody else thinks it can be personally achieved. We stand alone in what Jesus did. Everybody else thinks it's personally achieved. God was giving the Jewish people a direction on how to receive their righteousness. But what they missed in their lack of knowledge of what was taking place was the fact that Christ was the end of that process and he did something different. He ended their need for personal achievement and brought out that divine accomplishment. And so they sought to try to fill in the void or fill in all that they needed to do. And they sought to be good people. And even today, they're not trying to practice animal sacrifices. They don't have the temple. And so they substitute all that God has told them to do as his people. And they try to just be good people doing good things. But that just doesn't work. Because when we try to be good people doing good things, we just realize how big that void is. We realize how big that chasm is. And so Moses wants to, or excuse me, so Paul wants to continue to talk about that and how they missed it. So we pick up in verse 5, and it says, For Moses writes that the man that practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. And what that's saying is that if you think that you can keep all of the laws, you have to keep it perfectly. Because this whole process is a pass and fail test, right? And so he's saying, if you think you can do it, you got to do it perfectly. But the problem is, is that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws for them to deal with. And it would be impossible for them to do that because they missed something about the law. And here's what they missed. Look on your outline, Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. But the law was designed to last only until the coming child, that's Jesus, we just celebrated that, who was promised, and that was in Genesis 3.15, And God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So they missed something. They didn't fully see what God was trying to accomplish. So write this down. God's intention of the law 
was to reveal our need for a savior. When we look through the entire Bible, when we look through the entire landscape, we have types, foreshadowings of this coming savior. And it all is hinging on what Jesus is doing in our lives. All hinged on what he did in the scriptures. And that's why we go back to this divine accomplishment. This is why we stand alone because the scriptures stand alone that it's only by Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He makes it this way. And so now that we understand that there is this two points of view, and we as believers look at the point of view of divine accomplishment, what is it about this divine accomplishment? So Paul wants to do something now where he's going to contrast between divine accomplishment and personal achievement. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So what we have is we have a faith. We have faith. It's a conviction. It's something that we hold on to. It's something that we understand. This is what our righteousness comes from. And then there's some other elements to this, but hopefully this will make sense. Write this down. Based on our faith, our relationship with Christ has no conditions. Based on our faith, our relationship with Christ has no conditions. They're asking, who? Who's going to go to heaven? There's no one, right? Previously in the Old Testament, they would have to go to the temple. There would be a priest, and the priest would act as a mediator. They would be the who, right? We have no one in between us and Jesus. There is no who. I do not get you there. It's not me. And then so there's no who. And then they're asking, well, how to get to heaven? Who's going to go up to heaven to bring Christ down? Who's going to do the work? What work has to be done so that we can have a relationship with Jesus? None. There's no work. There is no work. There's no building. There's no handing out these tracts. There's no knocking on the doors. There's no nothing. It's no who, no what. And then it asks the question of who's going to be so spiritual as to resurrect Jesus, right? How spiritually do you need to be before you can have a relationship with Jesus, right? That's kind of the question. Do you need to be at a level five Christian? You need to have, to have some years spent into the, uh, the church. That way you can really understand and really get it. No, there's no conditions. And he makes that so clear as scripture tells us that while we are yet sinners in our worst condition, Christ died for us. And so we understand that there are no conditions. And so what this means is this, write this down. Based on our faith, Christ is easily accessible. Christ is easily accessible. And this is something that is incredible for us, right? Because we really need to get this. This is so freeing, so liberating, because it demonstrates that God really wants to have as many people come to him as possible. Because picture this, right? Jesus is on the cross. The thief next to him just placed his faith in Jesus. And so what does Jesus tell him? He goes, I need you to get off that cross, And I need you to go crawl nine miles on your knees and begging for repentance so that you can be ready to receive me. He doesn't say that, right? What does he say? It's on your outline. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. 
the way that we receive Jesus is so freeing that it could be on our deathbed. It could be when we're a child and there's no work to be done, no person we need to see, no level of spirituality. He makes it so wide, but it is him that makes it possible. And that's what we have to understand. So let's keep going. Verse eight, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. Write this down. Our righteousness is in faith in a message. Our righteousness is faith in a message. And what we see this scripture telling us is that there is a harmony taking place between my heart and my mouth. There has to be an internal and external alignment and agreement that has to take place. Because here's why. Why does it have to be the same? Well, write this down. When the message is in my heart, but not my mouth, that's denial. When the message is in the heart, but not the mouth, that's denial. And when the message is in the mouth, but not the heart, that's a ritual. And then when the message is the same in my mouth and my heart, that's a relationship. That's when it becomes true. If you think about it, if my wife, if I go to her and I'm, t- I'm thinking about her internally and I go, I love you, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're incredible, right? It never becomes true un- until it comes out, right? It's never true until I have acted on it in some way and then I go, I love you, you're amazing, you're beautiful. And then she experiences it, I experience it, my son experiences it, everybody experiences it. And so that's why there needs to be this alignment because that's where this relationship really happens, okay? It really is what becomes the thing that we can make it true for us. So now we, ha- we understand that there's a view that we have div- uh, faith through divine accomplishment. This faith is in a message. So what is the message? Paul tells us this in verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. And real quick, I know when sometimes people use that word confess, we have all sorts of things coming up. Some of us have backgrounds where it's baggage. And it's like, you think of confessing your sins or confessionals or, you know, uh, the sinner's prayer, all of these things. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a presentation, a declaring, a making known, okay? So don't, so what are we going to make known? We're going to make known something good. We're going to say Jesus as Lord, right? And that word Lord there, what that was used back then is that the emperors would go around and they would toss out this word and they go, I am Lord. And what they're really saying is I am God. And that word meant as the supreme being, I am at the highest that there possibly is. And so what we take that as, when we look at what we're confessing and what we're saying, we're saying this, write this down. I make it known, Jesus is the highest priority in my life. I make it known that Jesus is the highest priority in my life. And then I love this part, is that it says that God raised him from the dead, right? Because this is so good for us. Because if there is somebody running around Jupiter going, I'm the son of God, and I'm going to do this and this and this, and on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. 
And then after three days, nothing happens. No one cares, right? We're all like, okay, you know, on to the next thing. But when someone runs around and they say this about us and this about themselves and this is what they're doing and this is what they're saying, and then they go, on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then it happens, everybody stops what they're doing. And everybody cares about what that person says. And so what that was for us was validation, right? Because the father validated the son when he raised him from the dead so that we could go, this is so true. And this is so important. And this is why it's changing my life because the father validated the son for us to see that. And so because of that, write this down. I place my trust in the words Jesus said. I place my trust in the words that Jesus said. And again, as I was describing with my wife, I can have internally these thoughts and these beliefs, but it doesn't become the true until I say it because this is the pathway for righteousness, for us to receive it, but it does not become true until I make it known that that's the way I'm taking it. And that becomes more evident when we look at what Matthew says on your outline, Matthew 10, 32. It says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven. And so because we make it known, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus goes, that's true. I saved him, you know, and that's how easy it is. And that's how easy it should be, because I don't know if you're like me. But there's been times where I have wrestled with the thought, am I saved? How do I know? How do I know that I am secure in my salvation? Well, this simply says, because I've made it known and I've made it my highest priority of telling people about it, I'm secure. And that should come as a great confidence for some of us as we've wrestled with that. You make it known, it's yours. Don't worry about anything else because there's no conditions to which your salvation is secured upon. Jesus had the divine accomplishment for us. And so what else about this salvation? I love this verse. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I love that. That's an incredible promise for us to have when it comes to our salvation. The salvation we receive, this life that we're given, will not be disappointing. We will not be shaken or ashamed by it. It is incredible. You know, and Jesus himself said, I have come to give life and life abundantly. We have a life that we have so full in, and the only thing that we regret is the fact that we never stepped into it sooner. And sometimes we're talking with believers and they go, you know, I don't want to be a, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of a wet blanket religion. You know, they, they don't, they don't see what really could be, you know, and here's this promise that we can share with them. And then we can share our story about how God has used us and the things that we've done. And we really can help people understand how good it is of this salvation. And then, so Paul needs to also continue on to answer a few questions that they have, because again, this is 58 AD. And so he wants to clear some things up. So verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call upon him for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so 
They've been asking these questions. Has God given up on the Jewish people? What is he really doing? And so are they dismissed? Are we doing anything else? Are, are they done with? And so what he's trying to clear up with, he's going, nope, they're not done with. They can actually have the same salvation. They can have the same full measure of salvation. There's no change. And then as we would say, there's no distinguishing salvation between a male and female. It's the same with the Jew and Gentile. It's the same salvation. It's for everyone. And then he goes on and he says that it's abounding in riches. The idea is like, you know, back then they had a temple, they had animals, they had to use resources for their atonement. What if the resources ran out? Who gets atonement, right? Is the same thing possible with Jesus? Does Jesus have a situation where 3,000 people got saved that day and he takes a moment and goes, whew, I need a break. Wait until you guys get anybody else saved because I got a refill and then I can dispense, right? It's not that. Jesus is richly supplied with the resources to save every single person in the world if they accept this message. And again, it's that incredible thing for us. It's so freeing, and yet people find the fact, and especially because sometimes as humans, when we get confused, we make it complicated. And so we look on as Jesus' free gift as something like an email scam right? And I'll tell you right now, I love email scams. I love reading them, you know? I get, I get the one where it's like, Mr. Dollinger, your distant relative in Uganda has left an inheritance for you of millions upon millions of dollars. We have attempted to deposit this money into your bank account, and yet we have failed in the transactions. Please promptly reply back with your account information so that we can give you these millions and millions of dollars, right? It's hysterical because you go, no, don't do it. As soon as, they, as, soon as you give it, they're going to get their hooks into you, and then they got you, right? And everybody thinks that that's Christianity. But the truth of the matter is, is that's not the case. We have a Savior that paid the penalty for us. There was a payment made. The work that had to be done was completed. The personal achievement that was taking place was done by the divine accomplishment that rested solely with Jesus. And so that's why we can feel so good about it. And Peter himself um, reminds us this and on your outline, 1 Peter 2, 24. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so Peter has laid out this righteousness that we have through divine accomplishment. And so now he wants to say, here's what we do with it. And that's in verse 14 and 15. He says this, but then they, or how, excuse me, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul's quoting a verse in Isaiah, and Isaiah is being prophetic. He's being prophetic about how will people hear about this message? And he's basically saying it's going to be carried out by people. It's going to happen through people. And so what we take from that is the fact that this, write this down. Since our faith comes from a message, there needs to be messengers. 
Since our faith comes from a message, there needs to be messengers. And that doesn't mean we walk out here and we're all doing it. It's we look for opportunities to casually be used by God, to have these conversations, because God wants to use us. And we see this so clear in uh, verse 15, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Sometimes the Bible says something weird. Let me clear this up. It is not saying, because I have shared the gospel with you, you have to see these things, right? It's not, it's not saying that, right? What it's saying is it's using some poetic language to help us identify what's occurring. It's saying you're preaching the gospel, you're, you're sharing that with people, you're using your feet, that means you're going somewhere, you're doing things, you're being active. So as we were actively preaching the gospel and sharing things with people, it's described as beautiful. And beautiful in the Greek means this. Look on your outline. Beautiful from the word horais. That which is seasonable, produced at the right time, as of the prime of life, or the time when anything is at its loveliest and best. I think the reason why God wants us to participate with him, because truly, he doesn't have to use us. We are still dealing with the ramifications of our sin. It would probably be simpler if he wrote it in the sky, put it on a billboard, used animals or rocks, you know, but he chooses to participate with us because there is an incredible experience that comes from this. How beautiful are the feet? And notice the fact that 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 phrase isn't like distinguished to the messenger or the recipient, right? I, as the messenger, could be going on and I go, I cannot believe God is using me to do this right now. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And then it's the same as the person that just heard it and they go, I cannot believe I'm hearing this right now. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Because that thing that is taking place, that message is so incredible. When you experience, you are at the prime of your life when everything is at its most loveliest and best. And I think that's why God wants us to participate. And that's why for you guys today, I say 2019, let's make that the time in which Calvary, we are ready to present the gospel to someone. Again, not leaving here today and forcing it on people. I don't believe that that's how we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to have relationships and we're supposed to be in tune with the Holy Spirit for him to go, now it's time. Go ahead, say it now. And I would be remiss today to not distinguish the fact that I know that some of you guys have family members that you've been praying for and you've been writing on the connection card for years and years. And I would say to you, You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You look at the verse one and it says, it's my heart's desire and my prayer for their salvation. And so you just keep doing that and you keep being patient and you wait for God to open up the door for that message to go out from you or from someone else. But you keep praying that because as believers, we hold to the promises of scripture. And James 5.16 tells us that the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And so we believe that those words are powerful. And we as a staff are praying with you. When you write that down, we're praying with you. And if anything, maybe take a step of faith today and believe the fact that if you put a date on it, that that God's going to show up in that way. 
that if you go five years from now, boom, saved. I'm writing it down. And so if you do that, write it on the connection card. I want to pray with you on that. But take the time to believe that God wants big things for that situation as you bring it to him. He is a loving father and he wants to do that for you. And I understand that today too, that some of us have been wrestling with this conversation that's been happening internally and externally, and there has not been an agreement. But maybe for you today, that promise of, it does not disappoint, you will not be shaken, you will not be ashamed, is for you. And all you have to do is just declare the fact that Jesus is Lord, and you can step into that, and you can step into that life. And I can understand that there may even be a a person that hasn't heard this, and this is the very first time. And I'm not going to give a hard sale, like if you get hit by a bus, you know, it's like, it's not that. I would say, for you today, what you just witnessed in this room today is the fact that there are people that believe this message, that we are sincere about it. And we believe that Christ did something so undescribable that we hold to it and we change our lives to it. We make it known and we make it our highest priority. And for you today, I would say that you would understand that that's true. And you could step into a life that's abundant. And all you have to do is say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And you can affirm that by checking off the box on the back that says my next steps. I accepted Christ into my life today. And you can do that. And it's yours. There's no conditions, no things you need to change. You can have it right now and have it abundantly. Let me close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn about what you have done on the cross for us, to learn about how you've made a way to be right with you and how Christ was the end of that. And God, thank you for thus us that have been able to make that decision, God. But I I pray for those that have not heard. And I pray for those that are family members that are waiting for that person to hear, God. I just ask that you would just comfort them and give them the patience and endurance in these situations. And God, help us be the church that has the conviction on our heart to be looking for the opportunity to share this. And so make us ready. Make us ready this year to share this message. We love you. We thank you. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys.